Hey, my name is Lucas, and I want to welcome you to the official podcast of Coastline Young Adults from Coastline Church in Victoria. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you in your faith and helping you apply it to real life in real time. Here you'll find messages from our weekly service at Coastline Nights and other conversations where we talk and tackle what it means to be a follower of Jesus in today's culture. Everything you find here will point you to the truth and hope of Jesus. So grab a beverage, enjoy the message, and lean into how God wants to speak to you today. Good evening, how you doing? Just want to say from the top, um, if you're new, if it's your first time, it is so our heart here at Coastline Church, specifically at nights, that you would always know you're welcome here. Uh, I really am taken back by just um, just the different cultures and backgrounds and different people walking into this this church every single week. And so, if you if you only hear this, hear this tonight, you're welcome here. Thank you for joining us. I'm so glad you're here tonight. Um, no matter kind of wh- where you come from or where you've been or or if you're visiting because of you know Christmas time or you're here like every single day, this is your third service of the day. You're loved. You're welcome here. And thank you for joining us tonight. And I hope you hear that from the bottom of my heart. I don't think I say that enough. I think that's what was on my heart tonight. I don't think I say that enough. Thank you for being here tonight. I really hope it blesses you. I really hope it blesses you. Uh, We are in the Christmas story. Shocker, right? What are you going to preach on at Christmas time? And so we'll be like in Matthew 2. I think it's page like 748 in your Bible in front of you. It's 76084, something like that. It's something like that if you want to jump in there. Um, We're going to take the next three weeks and kind of unpack the different gifts brought to Jesus at his birth. Uh, Three weeks, three gifts. And the reason we're doing that is because I believe, Andy believes as we were unpacking this, there is spiritual significance to each gift brought brought to Jesus at his birth. Um, There is is theological significance. There is, I believe, just even practical cultural like significance for your heart, for my heart, and for the life of Jesus. Um, I don't know if you noticed this, but... It feels like everything about Christmas branding and whether it's like Starbucks, whatever it is, it's always just so happy. Have you noticed that? Like Christmas is always like the happy season. It's like, like good news and a thrill of hope and merry and bright and good tidings and great joy. Whatever it is, it's always like you got to be happy at Christmas. You notice that? It's always like, like see, happy holidays. Even just that one. It's like, well, maybe. I don't know. Maybe your holidays aren't good. Like, I remember the one Christmas where I vomited the whole time. Wasn't so happy then, you know? And I just think sometimes the, like, even even the carols. Like, have you ever really read Jingle Bells and not just sang Jingle Bells? It's a weird song. That's all I'm going to say. It's kind of funny. You're like, oh, no, what's he going to say? It's not like satanic ground. Like, relax. I'm just saying it's like even just dashing through the snow. You know, one horse open sleigh. Over the fields we go laughing all the way. Have you been on a sleigh ride? It's terrifying. Like, no, it's not la- Like, I'm not, <laughs> like, it's not actually that exciting and happy. And like, you know what I'm talking about? Am I the only person? I just think it's, it's funny. Bells on bobtail ring. Like, what, what is a bobtail ring? I don't even know what that is. Making spirits bright. It's like, again, maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it's terrifying some kids. You know what I'm saying? Maybe it's not the greatest sleigh ride of all time. What fun it is. It's just always this thing. Even deck the halls. This is such a funny one. Like, Deck the halls with, I always thought it was bells, but it's bows of holly, you know? And then what's the next line? <laughs> Act like you sang the song before. Like, relax. I'm not going to, like, judge you on your voice. Just Robbie, because he led us tonight. Like, just kidding. You guys are all great. 
Can, get a, can I get a fa-la-la-la-la? One, two, three. Come on. It's terrible. Don't even stop. Stop right now. Stop. That's horrible. Horrible, you guys. It's so bad. Pray for you later. This whole idea even of fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. You know what that's from? I didn't realize this. There were specific songs and literature and, and poems that kings and queens from, from, from the medieval times, they didn't like because they were sad. So they told them to take it out and add something else. And the best they came up with was fa-la-la-la-la. La la, la la, and they were probably beheaded after that significant contribution. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, they, they didn't even want anything sad. They didn't want anything upsetting. They didn't want anything discouraging. So they took it out and added fa la 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 la. Like, everything about Christmas is always happy and bright. And let me just be really clear. I love Christmas. I'm not a Grinch. I mean it. I love Christmas. My tree's been up for a while. I love the season. It should be this way. But there is a difference between the season of Christmas and the season of your life. What you may be walking through, what you may be tre- like trudging through, whatever is happening. Um, it's interesting talking to people. For some people, Christmas is their favorite season and for some people, it's their least favorite. Maybe they've lost a loved one. And so every year you get to Christmas and it's marked by trauma or tragedy. Because I believe the truth is the Christmas season is better said in like a holy night where it's a weary world rejoices, a thrill of hope. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Like there is pain, there is hardship, but something is happening at Christmas. It's the arrival of Jesus. And so everything is about to change. It's this great anticipation, this excitement. And so I just want to acknowledge that I know everything about Christmas is supposed to be happy and perfect and all put together. But the reality is that's just not life. Life isn't always happy and roses and rainbows and, and perfect here and there. And the tree is always put upright and there might be some family dynamics. Again, the season of Christmas is always full of joy, yet the season of our lives can look really different, really different. Yet the story of Jesus, again, is so powerful. And that's why I love the gifts and what they represent and what they bring. And what I believe is so powerful about the Bible, specifically what's so mesmerizing to me about God's will for Christ and his love for you. Hear that again. What I, what I love about the Bible is his, the, the will, God's will for Christ and his love for you and for me is how every detail, even, even a story like the Christmas story, which we've heard many times if you grew up in church, that even in this story, there's little details woven with such perfection and purpose and meaning that even in the manger, we see God's glory reflected and abounding so, so big. And so I pray and hope that this Christmas season, this story rings true in a different way for you. The three gifts brought to Jesus at his birth, and, and that's a bit of a stretch, like truthfully, these gifts probably came from the Magi when he was much older, but, but that's neither here nor there in this moment, are, are myrrh, frankincense, and gold. And these three gifts represent different things. Gold represents nobility, majesty, uh, reverence. It's, it's a gift you would bring to a king, which signifies the office or the appointment that Jesus would be, which was king. We sang it tonight, all hail King Jesus. That line rings so deep in my heart. Frankincense, which is incense. It's really, it's an aroma. It's, it's meant, it's like, it represents the divinity of Jesus, the priestlyhood of Jesus. And then finally, myrrh, which truthfully represents death and suffering. It was used in embalming. It's often spoken about in death, and we'll talk about it more, which speaks to the prophetic nature of who Jesus is and what he came to do, which was to die. 
And so in these three gifts, you have myrrh, which represents this, this, this death. You have frankincense, this divinity. You have king in, in the gold. And it, we see the three offices of Jesus, which are prophet, priest, and king. And he was the only one to hold all three at the exact same time. Are you kind of following why these gifts are significant, specifically when it comes to doctrine and theology? And so this is important. And tonight, we're just going to kind of hit one. We're just going to talk about myrrh because it is the, the, the big one, if you will. And I think for me, Christmas, or the manger even, represents the arrival of the divine on earth, but his gifts, the gifts point to the purpose of the divine on earth. And this is really key, it really is. That king, he was born a king, and so gold was there, and he lived a priestly life, the good shepherd he's referenced. And so you have this frankincense, and of course you have myrrh, which signifies the cross, which our faith truthfully is held on. And so yes, the manger represents the, or, the arrival of the divine, but the gifts point to his purpose. And so that's why I want to unpack them. So with all that being said, let's go to Matthew 2. Matthew being a disciple of Jesus, being there the whole time, formerly a tax collector, which is kind of crazy to think about. Again, just think about this guy. Was once an enemy of Christ and then became a follower of Christ. I think it's so significant. Matthew 2, starting from verse 1. Are you ready to read the Christmas story? It's December, friends. It's time. Some like snaps. Like, ooh, ah. Okay, great. You've read it before, but it's going to be good this time. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, King Herod, interesting, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who was born, excuse me, has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star, the star of Jacob, um, which we'll later see, when it rose and have come to worship him. Someone underline that in the Bible if you're coming tonight with your own. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Fair enough. He's the king. And they just said, yo, have you seen the king? I wouldn't want to be them right now, you know? But they didn't, they just, this is what they believe. This is what they're coming to do. He was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Verse five, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of uh, Judah, excuse me, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may also go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. When coming to the house, this is an important, this is kind of that main scripture people would use to say that this is probably, like baby Jesus is probably not infant Jesus at this point, that they've actually come to Mary and Joseph's house. He's probably a little older by the time the Magi have arrived. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Again, underline that if you have your Bible tonight. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh and have been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. So they returned to their country by another route. 
So a lot to break down here, some context to give. I don't want to lead you just into one specific thing here. The wise men, like the Magi, were, were men of religious thought, probably not, like, from, they're not from a Christian doctrine of any sort, uh, most likely Medes from Persia. Again, the Magi go all the way back to the time of Daniel. When, when, when the Israelites, the Hebrews, like, they were conquered by Babylonians, then the Persians come in and kind of take over. And at this point, the Magi would have even heard prophetic words from Daniel speaking about the Messiah to come. Which again is significant that our Bible, like seven plus hundred years before his birth, already speaking about him. And so they were astrologers, they were wise men, they were open to religious thought. And so they would have known and understood uh, many messianic prophecies from the Jewish culture. They knew the stars, they knew about the Messiah, they had studied Jewish tradition, and they had these prophetic statements that they held on to of the coming Messiah. But they don't just come to give gifts. And I, I really actually believe this is significant, where we really quickly jump to the gift part, don't we? But that's not what the Bible says. It didn't say that they came with gifts. It, didn't, it wasn't like a secret Santa. It wasn't like, okay, so I had Jesus, I'll go first. <laughs> like, that's not what was happening here. That should have got more laughs. Thank you, Steph, I appreciate that. You know, it wasn't white, I love, it wasn't, they weren't stealing like, like Christmas-themed like cookie holder. Like, that's not what was happening here. That's not what was going on. Verse uh, 2. Where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and what we have come to get, bring gifts? We have come to worship him. Verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they what? They bowed down and worshiped him. And then they presented their gifts. Friends, this is so key. I, I believe this part is so important. Again, we don't have a ton of information, biblically at least, about the Magi. There's many different accounts and historical things we could open up. But they come to Jesus, baby Jesus, and they worship. They bow down, instantly humbling themselves in reverence to the Messiah. They understood the significance of the moment. It was not lost on them. This wasn't just like, I need to pay homage because there was a significant moment dropped in their hearts and they recognized me giving of gifts is only the, the after part of what I am here to do and that is to worship God incarnate in the flesh. And I just think we miss this some, sometimes and I think, I wonder if even this, this Christmas season, don't let the Christmas season just be defined by generosity. Don't let this Christmas season just be defined by how much you give or the thoughtfulness of a gift. Important, good, share that with family, wonderful, I love it. Let this Christmas season be determined by how you worship God and how that plays out in your life, in your generosity. This word gift is interesting because the Greek word is not like lovely wrapped gift in, with bow. Like that's not what, that's not the Greek here. The, the Greek here is this word doron and it's the best, translated as an offering or sacrifice. So please, please understand, this isn't just like, I got a special thing, I hope Jesus likes it. I wonder what, like, I wonder if he's more of a silver guy, you know? I wonder if he'd more, maybe rose gold is better. That's not what was happening. Again, not what's happening here. You know the person in your family that's so hard to buy for, you know them, right? Say their name right now, go for it. One, two, three, say it. Jimothy. Just kidding. I don't know if Jimothy might be a real name or not, but like that wasn't what was happening again here. This is a sacrifice. This is their most, I'm being facetious, but hear this, their most treasured gifts, expensive gifts, gifts that were a sacrifice to them. 
This is not just like something they found in the cupboard and threw in some newspaper, you guys. I want you to almost get the idea of, of Christmas gifts out of your head because it actually doesn't even make sense here. This is an offering. This is a sacrifice. This is a moment of worship. This is a poised moment where they recognize that God has come to earth. The divine is in front of them and they're pouring out their most treasured items and their heart. Are you seeing the significance here? And I just wonder, again, I, to put it in our own perspective, I just wonder what it would look like if if for us this Christmas season, we were, we were best known for our sacrifice and for our, and for our worship and for our offering, like in our gift, like what we bring to God this season. And it doesn't have to be material. Actually, I don't even mean it to be. And so tonight we, we want to look at one gift specifically. Take the rest of the time here just to, to unpack it a little bit. Myrrh, this gift. Um, it's extruded from this, from this plant. It's it's less expensive than, than frankincense, but it's, again, significant, still highly valued. Myrrh is referenced over 17 times in the Bible, primarily used as kind of a, an aesthetic for burial and bombing. We see it in John 19. It records that myrrh was used in Jesus' burial. Nicodemus, he had come bringing like a mixture of myrrh and aloes and spices and things. It was like 100 pounds or something, I think. And so in the New Testament, we see this used often. Primarily, we see it used on the cross. And they would actually give it to people on the cross to help numb the pain to help with, the, it was kind of mixed with wine and they'd, they'd throw it up and, and they would try and give it to people. And so again, there's a lot of context here, a lot of unpacking of what we're talking about, who the Magi are, why did they bring what they bring? And I just want to like, here's what I want to do. I want to just like unpack the history really quick or recap the history and then tell you why I think it is so significant, this gift, okay? So again, remember in the time of Daniel, the Israelites have happen to go. Again, think of the significance here of your Bible, guys. Think of how God orchestrates this all together, okay? Please put your hat on here. Like, in the time of Daniel, we have the Israelites going from this overwhelming power from Babylonians to Persians. The Persians have these religious astrologers who are open to learning and understanding the way of Jewish scriptures and prophetic verses about the Messiah. And so being astrologers and being religious, thoughtful men, they, they follow the star of Jacob to find Jesus. And in that moment, they have the foresight to worship him as a baby and in all that he will become. And then they place gifts that represent his birth, his life and death, prophet, priest, king. This is, I think, one of, the, one of those times where you, you look how God weaves things in and out. When you look at the Bible, and for me, I just have to, I know I stand back and think, there's something so incredible about God. This is one of those moments where you're like, the predictions and the, and the prophetic nature of who God is and how he wove this all together, it's, it's bigger than me. So why is myrrh so significant? Two reasons tonight, guys. Firstly, myrrh prophetically speaks to why Jesus came. And I think I've already kind of alluded to that. I don't think it's a surprise. In the manger, we see a glimpse of the cross. We do. In the manger, we already see a glimpse of the cross that Jesus was both a prophet who, who talked about and brought people to God, but also he was fulfilling prophecies. Over 300 of them prophesied about him that he would come and fulfill and he would go to the cross. In the manger, our, our savior has arrived. Are you hearing me tonight? In, our, in the manger, a savior appears. A sacrifice shows up. Hope and praise abounded the savior, guys. Here. In the flesh, that's what we're seeing. Make no mistakes, friends. Jesus came to die on the cross. He did. Why else does he come? What, to just to lead? Just to preach? 
Why did Jesus, like, why would you predict your own death to your best friends if you did not come to, what? To atone for the sins of humanity for your children. He predicts his own death. He talks about it in front of his friends. He says, before, like, I'm headed somewhere you can't go with me. There's significant power here. He himself preaches and prophesies about his death. Even in the manger, the gift of myrrh, which represents death and suffering and bombing, all these pieces, they're already saying, we know what you're coming to do. And it's a beautiful thing to save the world, to bring grace and mercy to those who cannot save themselves. Friends, the good news of the gospel happens right here. We always joke, we always have to preach a little bit of Easter at Christmas because it's just so significant. You can't miss it in this moment. Like he hasn't just come to lead a good life. He said, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. That's Matthew 17. That's his own pr prophecy about himself. He had to die. He was destined to die. He chose to die. And that's the big part there. He chose to, for you and for me. Friends, tonight, as we think about Christmas, as we come around what is exciting and, and we think about the manger and you're setting things up, Yes, he's come and he's arrived and that's joy-filled for all of us. And yet significantly we look and we have to look and remind ourselves that he came for you and me to die for our sins. And that's a big deal. And then more, I think, attached to just our hearts and our own life, you guys. The myrrh prophetically speaks to why Jesus came to die for you and for our sins. But also secondly, it's just the myrrh of our life is prophetically and providentially covered by Jesus. What do I mean by that? Friends, Jesus understands the myrrh in your life and in mine. Myrrh was like bitter. It, didn't taste, it wasn't a good taste. Like it wasn't a good taste. It wasn't, it wasn't really used for perfumes or aromas. It was this kind of bitter tasting thing. And Jesus understands the bitterness of life that you and I face every day. He does. The Bible says we have a great high priest who can sympathize because he has walked through, gone through, faced every challenge you and I face. Friends, we all struggle. We all see the bitterness of life, don't we? Like it's not fa-la-la-la-la all the time. It's not. Straight up, let's be honest. Like there is emotional grief that all of us have. There is, it's just the truth. There is, there is relational breakdown, don't we? We have relationships that are broken, that are hurting. It's Christmas, friends. I get it. Like, financial stress. Come on. Like, it's, it's crazy right now. It's, it's, this, is not a, this is not a cheap city to live in. Let's just be honest. Let's call it what it is. Like, Andy sent me this picture. He said it this morning. He sent me this picture of cauliflower, which, first of all, ew. Like, who buys cauliflower? It was like a head of cauliflower. It's for $9.99. You couldn't pay me $9.99 to take that thing home, first of all. Like, who's, who's spending $10 on cauliflower? Are you? Is it you? Don't do that. Don't do it. It's crazy. Like, there's a, it's hard right now. That's difficult. That's challenging. I'm seeing some people be like, preach, go for it. Preach on cauliflower all night long. Some people are like, if you bring cauliflower into this, I will leave. Relax, okay? It's terrible. Without cheese sauce, it's not worth anything on your plate. Let's be honest. Can we get a show of hands? Cauliflower stinks. Literally. Literally, it doesn't smell good, you know? I'm not winning anyone over. You guys are crazy tonight. Cauliflower? Really? Really? Oh my goodness, we'll have a cauliflower prayer meeting later. It's fun, it's fun. I'm a, I'm a bad pastor if you love cauliflower. I don't, don't know why I do this. I really don't know why I do this. 
How about just physical pain? How about betrayal? (laughs) Feeling like you had someone's best interest at heart and then they push you and betray you. Think of Judas, his, his disciple, who gave him up for, what was it, 30 pieces of silver? How about Peter, one of his closest friends, deny him three times as he walks to the cross, which he prophetically spoke about, by the way. How about just the emotional weight that all of us carry as we walk in here, whether it's with friends or it's midterm or finals exams, excuse me, it's relationships, it's trying to grow, it's trying to be a better Christian and feeling that weight. There's a lot of bitterness and, and, and myrrh, if you will, in your life. And Jesus says, I get it. And what's so powerful about Jesus is myrrh shows up at the start of his life. And then when we get to the end of his life, he, he reaches the cross. Friends, he reaches the cross. And I don't know if you know the story, but in John 19, in that moment, the Roman soldiers try and give him myrrh. They try and give him, it's, the Bible says vinegar, but it's, it's this wine that's mixed with vinegar and myrrh to numb the pain. And he says, no, no. Jesus actually takes the full weight, the full bitterness, the full like heaviness and weight. I was just praying for someone recently, you guys. And, and the way this person described the heaviness of life was like a literal weight was just pressing on their chest. And it was like, it just wouldn't come off. And every time they tried to take a next step forward, every time they tried to power through, there was just like this weight that literally, it could not come off their chest. Like, this is how heavy it feels. And Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. I will not take any more mercy so I can experience every bit of pain and sorrow and heaviness and weight in this room tonight, in that room, in every room, in every church, in every person represented. He's saying, I want to go to the cross to experience it all so that I can actually atone for the pain, understand your pain. And even in the manger, we see it given to him, prophetically speaking about what he's gonna do for you and for me, saying, I'm gonna carry it. I'll take it. I'll bear the weight. I know that you can't so that I will. Friends, this is the cross. This is the good news that he gives grace where we should have experienced more. And I know it's heavy. I know life isn't easy, but God says, this is why I went to the cross. So you could run to me. So you could experience my fullness, my life for you. You don't have to walk through that. I've already defeated it. And you know what's so powerful about the story on the cross? I love this. Just Jesus, just being who he is. He does eventually take that sponge. And in that moment, you'd say, well, whoa, hold on. So then he does, he does take them. No, this is what happens. Go ahead and read it in John 19. The very last second, the team's coming out. We're going to do communion in a second. He takes the, the sip and he says three words. It is finished. And then he gives his last breath. He only takes the bit of mirth so he can quench his lips to say the three things that he wants to say to all of us tonight. It is is finished. The reason I came in the manger, it is finished. You know, do you know why I showed up here on earth? To, to, to experience all of this, to, to walk through life and to give you eternal life. It is finished. 
And that's why this one we have to tackle first because truthfully, he understands the myrrh of your life. He, he's experienced it all. We've all walked through this. And this is the thing. He takes the bitterness and he redeems our pain on the cross. And he gives you and me a way forward through our suffering and through our pain. Just, all who are weary come to me for I will give you rest. It's those words in, G, in Matthew. If you got a communion cup, I want you to grab it. And I, I'm really believing that tonight this is gonna be significant for you. If you didn't get one on the way in, you, um, we can get you one. If you don't wanna take communion, you don't have to. That's, that's totally fine. This may be foreign to you. Um, if you're new to church or from a different background, all good, 100% all good. There's still some significance in this for us. There's very few things that Jesus really commands of us, ordains of us even. And, and this is one of them. Communion is one of them. And I think in the story tonight, to me, it's so clearly connected that in the contrast of a little baby, our Savior has arrived. That in the contrast of a life that feels heavy, but everything is saying great tidings and happy holidays and everything is fine. You're like, yeah, well, there's some stuff here. Please remember why Jesus came. That the arrival of Jesus already spoke to his destiny, which was to die on the cross for you and for me. To pave a way to heaven for you and for me. To allow for you to have relationship with him every single day so that walking through the fears and, and, and bitterness of life isn't so bitter, but it can be redeemed and reconciled by Jesus. And so interestingly enough, we, we celebrate communion today, the first Sunday of the month. We, we take this cup, we look at it, we, we pray, we stop for a moment and we remember what Jesus did. That's why we do this. That we would never get ahead of ourselves in our faith and stop remembering what Jesus did, giving you victory and life and grace and hope and a future because of the cross. So again, if, if you don't have one, there's some team on the right and left. And if you want one, you can grab one. Again, I don't want you to feel pressure that you have to take communion with us tonight. And you can just hear what we're about to do and, and watch and witness. The Bible says on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And he was sitting with his friends. And I hope you're here with friends tonight. Hope you know that there's friends here tonight. And the Bible says that he took that bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he's suggesting and he's prophetically speaking. Again, prophetically speaking about the day that he would say, I see your sin, I see your sin, but I choose to take it all on. My body broken for you. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, the Bible verse goes on in 1 Corinthians, he took the cup. my blood, the new covenant, he says. We sang a song tonight that literally says this. The God who weeps and the God who bleeds. Understand that even, I, again, I, like newborn baby, you guys, and myrrh is presented to him, representing the, the anguish he'll one day go through 
And I think in that moment, it's not, it's not a hard moment for God to see that. He already knows why he came. He knows why he sent his son. And his blood was shed so ours wouldn't have to be. Let's take the cup together. Jesus' blood shed for you and for me. Would you stand to your feet as we close tonight? Would you close your eyes as I pray over you? Let God speak to you in this moment. Heavenly Father, as I pray over your person here, as we're about to sing once more, I pray in Jesus' name that there would be a significant transformation happening in hearts. God, for the people who have come here, broken and heavy, trapped in their mind, overwhelmed by thoughts, consuming their, their every moment, their every day that they can't shake. For the person who is continually just plagued by emotional struggles, by emotional burdens, I pray in Jesus' name right now that you would make that bitter part of life taste a little bit sweeter, that you would actually open up in their hearts redemption, that they would see you in this season at Christmas coming, literally coming to earth, already with open arms saying, I receive you, I see you, I know what you're going through, I know what you're walking through. God, I pray in Jesus' name for the person who has faced betrayal recently, relationship betrayal. Maybe it's just physical pain they need healing for, financial strain, whatever it is, Jesus, we pray in your name, by your power, by the power on the cross, that the gospel would come alive in every heart. For the person who has been far been far from you for a very long time. Would this Christmas season stand true in their life, recognizing that Jesus, you came to deliver, you came to, to spare us, you came for the cross. And I pray that every person here tonight would see that beauty. It would know that in this moment, even in the manger, they were thought of, they were seen. And so Lord, I pray for the myrrh that maybe feel very real here. I pray in Jesus' name that there would be a reconciliation, a redemption taking place. That as we look at communion, we remember what you did on the cross for us. That as we sing songs that, that, that you went to the cross for us by your blood, by your, excuse me, Lord, by your power, by your blood, and by you, what you have done on the cross, our sins are washed away. That we are made new in you that there is a grace everlasting, that there are new mercies every morning, that there is significant truth that resonates in our heart that we can actually face our fears and take on the day because our God went to the cross for us. Lord, I pray we remember these three, these three words this week. It is finished. You have done it. We love you, Jesus. We worship you. Put you in your right place and that's far and above. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, come on, everybody said, I think we're gonna sing my favorite song again. Can we lift this one up?